Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. For the first time in its 50-year history, an American team has won the Ocean Race, a sailing competition that travels around the globe. Leading the team was a Rhode Islander and Brown University alum, Charlie Enright. He's here to tell us the whole story after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. All right, welcome back. I'm here with Charlie Enright, skipper of the 11th Hour Racing Team. Thank you for joining me, and congratulations on your win. Thanks for having me. For those who are not familiar with us, tell us what the Ocean Race is. The Ocean Race is um, basically one of the three biggest properties, if you will, in the sport of sailing. It was formerly the Volvo Ocean Race, and before that, it was the Whitbread Around the World Race. Uh, The first edition was in 1973, so this is the 50th anniversary of the race. And this edition was a 37,000-mile trip around the world, um, five different teams from all corners of the globe, and um, it was competed in boats called the Mocha 60s, which are 60-foot carbon fiber foiling ocean-going machines. So what countries did you visit? Where did it go to? Uh, We started this race in January in Alicante, Spain, and Uh we did a little pit stop in Cabo Verde en route to Cape Town, South Africa. And then we did um, what's actually the longest leg in the history of the race from Cape Town, South Africa to Itajaí, Brazil. That bit took until May, and then the race continued from Brazil to Newport, Rhode Island. Newport, Rhode Island was the only North American stopover of the race, and then um, we went from Newport to Aarhus, Denmark, and then from there to The Hague in the Netherlands. And then the grand finale was, uh, you know, the last leg of the race was from The Hague to Genova, Italy, and back to the Med. So it's around the world. You're going around around the world. And and the whole race took how long? You started in January and came home and... And we finished on June 29th. Wow. How many times have you taken part in that race? Um, This is my third, sounds crazy to say, but yeah, third edition of the race and third circumnavigation of the planet. So tell us a bit about yourself. You graduated from Brown. 
right? Yeah, you know, I, I grew up in Bristol, Rhode Island. My grandfather was a boat builder. You know, I got into sailing at a at an early age. You know, started sailing competitively probably when I was like 10 years old, maybe. And it became like a Narragansett Bay thing and then a domestic thing and then a international thing. And, you know, I sailed interscholastically as well. You know, in high school, but also, also at Brown. And, um, you know, very quickly, and only could you do this in Rhode Island, uh, you know, became a profession of mine. Tell us about how much sailing is part of Rhode Island's ad- identity. You must have a big fan base here. Yeah, it seems crazy to say, but, um, you know, the marine industry, you know, and maritime culture, obviously, um, you know, big things, you know, here in Rhode Island, especially, you know, internationally, you know, whether Rhode Islanders recognize it or not, you know, this is seen to be the the sailing center of the universe, particularly when it comes to racing. You know, we have the America's Cup that was here for so many years and now three times in a row, you know, the ocean race stopping here is its only North American stopover. U.S. sailing, you know, the entity of U.S. sailing is located here in Bristol, Rhode Island. So, you know, it's a big part of our current culture, but then also a big part of our heritage as well. And and tell us a bit about the 11th Hour team. So 11th Hour Racing, I think just taking a step back, um, you know, it's worth saying is also located here in Rhode Island. So their organization is, you know, in Newport on Bellevue Avenue, right by the intersection of Bellevue and Memorial. 11th Hour Racing is an entity that works within the marine industry and coastal communities in and around Rhode Island to promote the restoration of ocean health. You know, our team is the mouthpiece in a lot of ways, Hmm. you know, for that movement, because we do things like this wonderful podcast and we get out there and, you know, we can help spread the message, but more importantly, come up with tangible solutions for, you know, the future of ocean health, but also in local bodies of water like Narragansett Bay. So is that where the name comes from, 11th Hour? Is it got to do with climate change? Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to communicate a sense of urgency. Yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, for me personally, my first lap of the planet was a bit of an awakening, you know, because I didn't realize just how dire the situation was. What have you seen out there that has alarmed you? We've seen tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of things. Uh, you know, and we feel like as, you know, canaries in the coal mine a little bit, the people out there, you know, we can speak credibly, you know, to some of the things that we do see, whether it's plastic water bottles at Point Nemo, which is the point in the ocean, which is as far from land as you can possibly get. So, I mean, we're seeing human impact everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And you you see a lot of plastic out there. Yeah. You know, we see a lot of plastic, you know, I've done this race where it's traveled through the Malacca Straits, which is one of the heavily, most heavily trafficked, you know, straits in the world. And it's like, you know, there's marine debris as far as the eye can see. It's also about the things that you can't see, hmm. you know, the microplastic, the rising sea surface temperatures, the ocean acidification. I mean, th- those are symptoms of the greater problem that until you know, you know, what the real factors are in this problem that you you wouldn't notice or even or even know about. Yeah, yeah. I've been reading about how much the oceans are warming. Do you see evidence of that out there? Yes, we do. I mean, we see changes in oceanic currents. You know, we see volatility in the weather. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah, the conditions. I I mean, we are not scientists, you know, by any means. And I got to be careful here. But, you know, just as a a guy out there in the ocean who's able to observe, those are things that we see on a regular basis. Are you seeing more of the storms, more of the extreme conditions? Uh, We see deviations from the way it used to be. You know, some of our legs are two, three weeks, right? And forecasts only go out so far. So a lot of it is climatological, historical data that we look at to figure out where we should be pointing and where we should be going because eventually our forecasts run out. So yeah, it's a huge part of what we do. So I'd love it if you could talk me through what happened in the race this year. Let's start with the early phases. How was uh, your team doing? 
from Spain to Brazil, I'd say we weren't meeting our expectations. And then, <laughs> no pun intended, but it became very quickly the 11th hour for us competitively. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, yeah. if we didn't get our act together, you know, our competitive hopes would very soon be dashed. So, you know, with our backs kind of against the wall in Brazil, we were able to turn it around and won a couple legs in a row. And going into the final leg, what position are you in? Going into the final leg, we were in first position, two points clear, second place. Today, we get to see our Amokas in action. It's our last leg of this, the 14th edition of the Ocean Race. We were very close to land in the Netherlands, and, you know, this is a a fairly big to-do in other parts of the world. So there was, you know, spectator boats and, you know, Coast Guard and authority. Benjamin Dutroux is about to tack, and if he was to tack now, by my ID, I think he'd lay. In sailing, you know, there are rules that kind of govern the waterways and you know we were on the starboard tack which is the right away tack oh but he's putting the pressure on 11th hour he's forced them to tack away oh he has not seen he has not seen 11th hour racing team so they made contact with our hull and they put a hole in it Seems like everybody on board was out of the way of the collision, but what a collision here, Dee. The interesting thing is this damage now on the side, that is a hole in the boat that they are not racing anymore. So we actually had to return to port. This is absolutely incredible for 11th hour racing team. Charlie Enright, you can see he has just looked over the side of the boat and seen the damage. Difficult moment, certainly for our team. You know, it had been three years of training, um, you know, and we're a team of 35, and everybody put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into just getting to where we'd gotten to at that point. We spent three days repairing the boat before we were able to get back out there and be on our way. Do collisions happen much? How unusual is that? Listen, you do this long enough, you know, things happen. You yeah. know, I think we come to expect the unexpected at this stage. Um, you know, it's not something that happens frequently, but, you know, it does happen. So what do you do to address that situation? You were in first place. You you get hit. You can't continue. How, how, is, how is that addressed? You know, there's an independent third-party council of judges who, um, you know, ruled on the situation on the water, but then have to reconvene to decide how they're going to compensate the boat that has been wronged. So that, that part you know, we prepare for and have representation at that hearing, but by and large is is out of our hands. So what was the jury's verdict? You know, there's, there's precedent for that. They gave us average points, and our average finishing position to date was a second place, and that actually increased our delta over second place. So we went into the leg winning, we had this unfortunate incident, and we came out of the leg winning, basically. I'm very pleased to announce that 11th Hour Racing is the winner uh, tell me about the scene when the crew learned that they had won. Yeah, I mean, initially, um, just because of the anticipation of the hearing and everything, it was a, a you know initial feeling of just relief, you know, a, a, a weight off our shoulders, and we'd put so much into it. You know, it was a, shall we say, interesting way um, to, to find out. But then, you know, as soon as we were able to share the experience with our teammates, everybody that had such a big part in making it happen, you know, the feeling quickly moved towards elation, happiness, joy, yeah. celebration. And when was the last time an American boat won? 
An American boat has never won in the 50-year history of the race. Wow. So how does it feel to be the skipper of the first American boat to win the ocean race? It feels wild. Um, <laughs> honestly, it hasn't really set in yet. You know, I haven't spent a lot of time here in Rhode Island, you know, since the team was, you know, victorious. So, I mean, there's just been so many people in this local community that have been a, been a part of our success, you know, until I personally see all those people and share the experience with them. It's not going to be entirely fulfilled, I'm sure, but it's, it's crazy. Uh, and would you have rather want it on the water? Oh, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just as, as competitors, mm -hmm. you know, you always want to win it on the water, you know, unfortunately, you know, sometimes those things get taken out of your hands, but you know, no two races are the same, right? You know, they all have their twists and their turns and, um, you know, to think that anybody's going to go around the world unscathed is naive. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately it ended the way it did, but I don't think it detracts in any way from the accomplishment, the, the overall victory. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Are you confident you would have won in any case? Uh, certainly. You know, we were on a hot streak. We'd won three legs in a row. I mean, average points. Okay, fine. It increased our victory in the end, but we we're hoping to have win that leg. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, we were firing on all cylinders. So in some ways, the average points is a bit of a disappointment because like you said, we do want to do it on the water. We felt confident, you know, when we departed. Again, we're not going to argue with anybody. We'll take it and move on. So will you do it again? Will the team be back out there? Uh, you're going to have to ask me in a little bit. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing I love doing more, you know, than what we just did. And um, you know, in some ways, it's all I know how to do. <laughs> so yeah, the yeah. prospect of doing something else is a bit daunting. But uh you know, it's it, it weighs on the family too. You know, um, oh, okay. it was three years training in France, and the race is the easy part. You know, you get to bring your family to some pretty cool parts of the world and expose them to things that you know a lot of people aren't lucky enough or fortunate enough to see. But you know, to get to that point was three years of living in Europe and a lot of missed time at home. So yeah, could you t talk to us about the pressures you face and the impact on your family doing this kind of contest? You know, I think for me to do what I do, you know, it takes a village of support. You know, my wife is very understanding and appreciative and supportive of my dreams and my goals. Thank gosh. But you know, I have two kids. I have a six-year-old and a seven-year-old. You know, I first started doing this. It was just me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a little bit different when it became me and my wife. And then it was even more different when it became me, my wife and two kids. So, you know, whether it's her helping with the kids or, you know, my folks who are close, her folks who are close, or just the entirety of the marine industry that seems to reach out and want to be supportive. Um, you know, we couldn't do it without, um, help. So I got to ask you, because I just took sailing lessons at the Community Boating Center in Providence on my on my birthday and, uh, you know, trying to teach an old dog new tricks. What would your advice to a newbie sailor like me be? To enjoy it, you know. Um, I think it's a, it's, it can be, you know, a complicated sport in some ways. And I think just like anything else, if you overthink it, it takes the fun out of it. So just enjoy it. You know, make sure you get in the the reps that you need to get it right and um, just enjoy being outdoors. And, you know, they got such a great program over there at Providence Community Boating. Um, they're actually a grantee of 11th Hour Racing. Oh, no and, kidding. And, yeah, and we right. brought our race boat there right up here into the Providence River last summer, which is a pretty cool thing to be able to share that with, um, you know, a community sailing center that does so much for the local community in terms of, like, just breaking down some of these barriers to entry. You know, I mean, sailing can be perceived as this like bit of a pretentious, um, you know, difficult to obtain type sport, but it's anything but really. 
the more that we can let people know that and the more that we can grow the base, you know, the, the, the better for everybody and the better for the sport. So it was a bad sign that I, I capsized and had to bail on my first day sailing. No, no, not at all. It means you got nowhere to go but up. <laughs> exactly. Well, Skipper Enright, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Here are some more stories to check out this week in Globe, Rhode Island. Steph Machado and I are moderating the latest 1st Congressional District debate this Thursday with 10 of the Democratic candidates. You can check out the live stream on globe.com slash Rhode Island. And if that's not enough for you, next week on the podcast, Steph and I will be chatting about the CD1 race with Jim Hummel of Rhode Island PBS's Lively Experiment. Meanwhile, construction of the state health lab is finally underway. Brian Amaral has the details. For these stories and more, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. And if you like the podcast, do us a favor. Follow the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all anytime and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.